Hi, everybody. This is Vasudev, and welcome to another episode of the That Depends podcast, where we break down Indian legal realities. Today's episode centers around Supreme Court litigation, and to discuss this important issue, we're joined by advocate on record, Mr. Talha Abdul Rahman. He has over a decade of experience practicing before high courts and the Supreme Court and is well-versed with the ins and outs of Supreme Court procedure and how cases get to the Supreme Court. As always, I'm joined by Risha, who's going to walk us through what today's episode covers. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Why this discussion about Supreme Court is important is because we look at the Supreme Court only as a court that protects our fundamental rights. But that's not really the true case. The Supreme Court has various other rules that it has to fulfill. And that's why it's important to discuss these rules and the challenges that the court faces. Another important aspect is the qualms we have with the Supreme Court is because we only perceive it as a court protecting our fundamental rights. But that's not, like I said before, it's not the true case. It has various other duties. And we have to see what those duties are and why are they also important. So thanks for listening and hopefully you guys like this episode. So first of all, thanks so much for being here with us, sir, and uh, sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom. Um, so I think uh, the first thing to really understand the Supreme Court is to understand how cases get to the Supreme Court and what kinds of cases the Supreme Court actually hears on a day-to-day basis. So could you just walk us through what the sort of broad basis of jurisdiction are in terms of how cases get to the Supreme Court and what kinds of cases these actually are? So um, I think um, in order to understand what kind of cases uh, get to the Supreme Court, you must understand who brings these cases to the Supreme Court. Um, The cases to the Supreme Court fall into categories, essentially in two categories, uh, as far as litigants are concerned. Uh, One will be the appellate and one will be um, those pertaining to violation of fundamental right. And um, a lot of people argue that the role of the Supreme Court is appellate and there must be um, another court of appeal between the High Court and the Supreme Court. Now, what happens is that um, the, uh, the law provides for an appeal to the Supreme Court. For example, you know, if you look at the Consumer Protection Act, it has an appeal to the Supreme Court. If you look at the Tri Act, um, um, that the, the that will provide an appeal to the Supreme Court. So various statutes over the years have conferred a statutory appeal to the Supreme Court. So that is the uh, core appellate function, and those are you know the appeals as of right that come to the Supreme Court. For example, I file a consumer complaint in the National Commission, and I lose then I am the one who's wanting to challenge that appeal. So I will bring a matter to the Supreme Court. So from my perspective, I will be the appellant. Now, the law, the Supreme, because um, law, I mean, the rule of law requires that a person should have at least one appeal on law and facts. So for that purpose, the statute says, all right, you know, from an original complaint of the National Commission, you will have one appeal to the Supreme Court. So the act provides for an appeal to the Supreme Court. So there are certain statutory appeals um, which are provided as of right. Now, that is one part. The second is um, because of the way the constitution has been um, structured, it provides any person to approach the Supreme Court from any order. So if you look at the wordings of Article 136, um, 
which is the most used provision for an appeal it provides that any person aggrieved by any order so even if you are aggrieved by an order of a tehsildar of a district magistrate you can straight away come to the supreme court now um, i mean looking looking at the background of it you see uh, we have we have been subjugated for years so you know when you get to make your own court you say all right i will make a court of appeal or i will make the tallest court in this country which will allow the poorest man in the remotest part of the country to straight away come here and knock the doors of justice now that's the kind of vision that the constitution had uh, and that is why you know 136 any order can be uh, appealed against uh, and same reason um, you know article 32 is engrafted which you know really provides anybody uh, aggrieved by violation of fundamental right to come to the supreme court so that's why i said you see you have to look at it all of this from the perspective of who has to come to the supreme court rather than what will travel to the supreme court now people may say you see this is a frivolous case that is a frivolous case i mean i have a separate understanding of how these frivolous cases arise what happens is you go to a trial court the trial court doesn't give you relief doesn't appreciate your arguments your arguments are not written you don't get proper lawyers in the trial court for whatever reasons i mean i'm not blaming the lawyers i'm not blaming uh, any particular system but i'm saying you know in this is the reality half of your arguments are not recorded half your arguments are not even developed by the courts below and then then the matter reaches the supreme court the supreme court will say look you have not taken that plea you have not done that you have not done this the judges have you know not exercised their discretion properly or us there's a concurrent finding against you you mean two courts have held against you why should we interfere that's the worst question uh, that, you know that that falls from the supreme court very often and the answer is really because the underlying systems are bad that a person is compelled to the supreme court so i mean you see nobody wants to spend money if given a choice um 136 you come to supreme court because you are you lose in the high court and you don't see any other remedy you say all right let me take a chance in the supreme court and see if you know maybe the judges there are more learned maybe the judges there are uh, a more empathetic maybe they understand what i want to really say i mean that's that's the kind of um, relief that you're looking at yeah, i think sir what sorry i think what the important thing to understand is that for the person who's the litigant for him his case is always right like he's not looking at this own case with the respect of this legal legally is it correct or not because he himself feels he is he is the correct party in this whole dispute but how you said in article 136 what happens is that from any order you can come and any one can come the poorest person from the remotest corner but we usually don't see that happening and that's also a very important part of how the supreme court comes is the limitation that the supreme court in itself has due to the system it has put in well th- that is true and th- that's a reason to encourage or you know have a proper legal aid system have mohalla clinics provide an ex- system of access in the remotest part so for example somebody in um, say odisha wants to approach the supreme court has been wronged and he says nahi mujhe supreme court pe bharosa hai main wahan jana chahta hu and he says that and there is no medium available for him there is no local legal aid clinic he can't go to a district court there and say i want to go to the supreme court the legal aid system expects him to travel to the supreme court for him to seek legal aid from the supreme court that's you know that's the way legal aid structure so the legal aid structure also has to be revamped but that's a separate issue now you're right that a litigant may say nahi mera case is sahi hai what i am saying is correct and that's the final point but um, and but but you see the the 
here the i mean he also understands that the final arbiter is the court and the person should have a right to take his pitch his case at the highest to the highest body so i wouldn't uh, take it anything lower than that you see you to also understand the way systems are going to function at the lower levels you know um somebody you have a small case at a lower level you will try and quote unquote manage the system you know you don't have faith so you will look for lawyers whoever you know you know you can can tinker around i mean these are all realities you know um so what you do is you say all right i have no remedy left i'll go in appeal and uh, and then in appeal you don't get a relief your arguments are even not recorded your evidence is not appreciated and that leads to the perversity of the order and there has to be one some some forum to challenge it i mean i mean obviously i mean that leads to a flood of cases in supreme court but that's what the courts are for you know i mean you have a large population there are bound to be a large number of cases and you have to have more lawyers more uh, judges to deal with those cases you train them better i mean uh, my my personal feeling is that one of the reasons why a large number of cases actually travel to the supreme court is because there's poor training in the courts below i mean you've seen that goa judgment uh, in tejpal's case um yes the other party could have been the appellant i mean i'm not saying it will it will end at that but look at the reasoning i mean and these are trained uh, trained judges and and you are able to or the sorry the whole country is able to you know look at that judgment thread bare because it it's, it's a huge case i mean it's tejpal case but before this case the same judge would have decided hundreds of cases in future he's going to decide a hundred of cases so there is evidently poor training you have high court judges uh, sitting in states um uh, asking you know the rape victims to tie rakhi and get, uh, uh, i mean do things like that um in bail applications pertaining to rape so i mean would you not have you know a supreme court to correct those errors so i'm just saying these are things that these are things that get reported now yeah so i think um the it's absolutely correct because based on my limited time at the supreme court also we all have seen some horrific high court orders some horrific lower court orders i think the flip side of the uh, this entire issue is that at the end of the day we only have about 30 odd supreme court judges and if we have so many um problematic orders coming from the lower courts and the high courts we need a really good system to make sure that um the most the most egregious cases are heard um or the cases that where we need to correct the law are heard so could you just talk about the way in which the supreme court decides what cases it's going to hear in terms of what the standard is under say article 136 which is the discretionary relief that litigants used to come and also i've always been curious about um when you read older supreme court cases they talk about the certificate of appeal from the high court and whether that system is still in place and how effective it was so you see the the i mean when it comes to the appellate so we um, in the initial part i mentioned that the supreme court is appellate and it's also trying to give a remedy to those who complain of violation of fundamental right when it comes to appellate jurisdiction there are statutory appeals whose examples i had given then there are uh, appeals by certificate which is that the high court certifies that involves a substantial question of law or substantial question as to interpretation of the constitution and then it comes to the supreme court and then the third which is uh, the um, special leave to appeal 
where you don't need any certificate you straight away make an application to the supreme court and the supreme court decides whether it involves a substantial question or not so um, i mean recently in my in my uh, in my in 10 12 years in the supreme court i haven't really come across um, certificate cases maybe one case uh, arising from bombay um, but apart from that i haven't really come across any certificate cases there may be hesitancy on the part of lawyers also to apply for their, those certificates in the high court because you see you are basically telling the high court judge that i am going in appeal against you and you certify that it involves a question um, and and i will take it to the supreme court um, maybe that's the reason or maybe you know it's it's a procedure that is not used as much um, third thing is you know when the appeal comes to the supreme court lawyers them asking the high court lawyer that you go make an application to the judge to grant you a certificate under 133 uh, 134 whichever i mean 132 which whatever it is um that's a tedious process so you know people don't want to spend time in that process we don't know but you see um it is for the supreme court and also the also for the high courts to encourage if high court also feels that you know this is a case where um, both sides are um, likely to go i mean either side is going to, going to go in appeal and it does involve a question then you have to you know give a certificate in case a party wants to go up in appeal so it's for the high courts to encourage that system it for the supreme court also to encourage the high courts encourage the lawyers also to get that certificate now but that certificate like the the correctness of that certificate like the correctness of the order is not not a guarantee that the um, i mean the certificate is correctly granted or mm-hmm. otherwise so it may be i mean i have had cases of interesting questions of law uh where um, in in that bombay case itself where you know the certificate was actually re- refused so somebody applied and the court refused he said no i don't want you to go to supreme court i will not grant certificate you go so then i mean what the guy do i mean he he file 136 and say that look i applied and the court never granted it or you know the application to seek uh, uh, those certificate is pending for a long time mm-hmm. so sometimes it's faster to just go under 136 Yeah, yeah, it's faster, fast, definitely, definitely. How one thirty six operates? I mean, I think part of your question yeah, was. Yeah, I think that's what one thirty six operates. Yeah, you see, um, the way I understand one thirty six is like you know, imagine Supreme Court to be um, a physical location. You are permitted to come in the premises the moment you file a one thirty six, but. whether or not i will allow you entry to my private room will depend on whether you have a substantial question of law or not so when you file a 136 petition you are inside the premises of the supreme court that is to say that is to say you will be heard whether or not you should be given access to my private room in the private room i am going to then um, decide a question of law so you explain to me there is a question of law there is no question of law and if i am convinced at whatever stage it can be first hearing second hearing or even at the last hearing that there is a question of law i will let you into my private room which can also be called a you know a privileged room and then you are you get in so so 136 entails two process um one uh, that you satisfy the high court the supreme court that there is a question of law that is to be decided once the supreme court agrees with that it will let you in mm-hmm. and then decide that question but if it doesn't agree the uh, slp will be dismissed 
uh, at that stage. It can be on the first day. It can be after hearing the other side. It can be even after hearing for two days or two weeks or two months. It depends. And could you? I mean, we have all been in the Supreme Court, but could you describe for our listeners and ordinary non-lawyers? what sort of mondays and fridays are typically like in the supreme court how many cases are heard and uh, how of, how long the supreme court actually takes to admit a matter or not admit a matter um all of this you know varies from judge to judge really i mean mm-hmm. uh, ordinary cause list will be say 35 40 45 often goes up to say 51 52 also but that's that's rare and judges read up the file the lawyers then argue their cases um if now some judges are you know um are more prone to um issuing uh, admitting the appeal so they think that you know one side has made a, a substantial point of law or the impugned order has something tricky which the court needs to decide or is going to have an effect on other issues or you know two high courts have taken a conflicting view then they will admit the appeal on that day itself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, some will issue notice but by and large mondays and fridays are essentially slaughter houses i mean you will most matters will get dismissed um unfortunately you know what what happens is uh, and it's a rare art once you read the file it is not um not possible that you don't make a view i mean you make up your mm-hmm. mind notice karna hai isko dismiss karna hai so i mean some of the judges i mean i had the privilege of you know uh, assisting justice uh, js verma uh, in the verma committee report so um, he he told us that you know it was very difficult to not form a view because you know you have gone through the impugned order you looked at the grounds you looked at the facts and then i mean you're trained to you know take a view whether this is to be done or not to be done and then um you reach the courtroom and the lawyer i mean you already sort of taken a view this side that side or you maybe you're sitting on the edge and then you look for look at the lawyer to make that point so um that's why you know it's it's more difficult and that's why people say that supreme court practices in touch and go because the judges have read the file you have read the file you've got about 30 seconds a minute maximum 2 minutes to you know make your point um, as to why you know judge um, should not decide the way he has decided because mm-hmm. otherwise if he's made up his mind that he will dismiss the case is nothing but so that's the thing if if your whole case revolves around 30 seconds to 1 minute and you have come to the supreme court thinking it's the final adjudicator of my rights so we know it's it's just 30 to 1 seconds because it's been decided at so many levels but still it feels a bit you know you feel that you've been shortchanged because you only get 30 seconds like a litigant in his head only gets 30 yeah. seconds to actually do what he what he's come to the supreme court for like someone's come from the remotest corner like keep on saying and he only gets 30 seconds to make his case so it's very difficult to for them to understand you know what just happened like why why did this happen with me that's true that's true and that is why you see uh, that is why you have an um, i mean i have a hierarchy of courts you know you get maximum time at the lower court and then lesser time at the high court and at the supreme court level it's not that the judges you know are dismissive i mean most judges there are in there are exceptions of course with i mean all of us know of but most judges will have read the file they will despite having formed a view they will allow you time to um convince them otherwise or some judges will also tell you look there is a point against you which is on page say 
please explain mm-hmm. this and if you're not able to explain that then they will say look this is the point against you you have, this is how your conduct has been this is your how you made an admission or you have not said this this is a technical issue you know that that's how so i mean uh, so judges are well prepared uh, and most judges of the supreme court you see have practiced for a long time so they read much faster uh, than others uh, you would you would estimate and then you've been lawyer judges for several years so that makes a lot of difference i mean i mean for example i mean several sitting judges of the supreme court they uh, i mean even as lawyers they used to read uh, you know 15 briefs 10 20 uh, 10 briefs a day i mean actually read read not like a junior making a note they will read themselves i mean they junior is only there to aid them but you know essentially it's their reading so once they become judges they are used to you know finding that one page in the entire 300 page file and saying look this is where this is what your your question of law is this is where the point will turn this is how it is to be pitched and some judges are very kind i mean they will also tell you that you look what your point you are arguing is not not the greatest point in your case uh the greatest point in your case is this you have not um you have not argued this but since you have you know taken it below we will issue notice on that point so i mean and it's really a booster for uh, you know the younger younger lot because you know you um you don't have the same kind of vision which comes with experience right so and i think if we if we move on from 136 um if like you said the supreme court admits the case and you're sort of invited into the private room of the supreme court for them to adjudicate your dispute um we know the admission you said sometimes can just take 30 seconds to to a minute but once cases are admitted how long does it typically take for a supreme court to go through its entire hearing process then final hearings and then uh, actually pronounce a judgment or dismiss the case it can be anything between a week to 10 years i mean the statutory appeals i mean the statutory appeals filed in you know 10 15 years ago have not come up for hearing so far because most of but it, it also happens that you know you file an file an appeal today uh, it is admitted and the court then expedites the hearing it is listed the next month and then you know parties also cooperate um, and then the matter is heard so uh, it really is Are there any sort of key factors that determine whether a case is about two weeks or ten years? Well, the one the question of law, two the implications of that question, uh, and three, of course, you know whether the mm-hmm. judge wants to hear it. Uh, it may you know involve a very trainy uh, question of say Mithakshara law, and he may not be wanting to decide it in that one case. but that is something that you know it's an important question but he doesn't want to decide it in that case or you know he feels that this is not a question that will be um useful for people at large uh, at this moment so it, it is left to be decided sometimes sometimes for instance a service matter you know whether a particular person should be granted seniority or not so that person um for that person that's the most important case and he may be able to show rules conflicts uh how this is to be interpreted so is it all right we will since now that you have retired and we have to also hear your case because it's an important question uh we will you know admit the appeal and hear you say in 3 years 4 years and uh, then you know parties uh, sometimes also make an application for early hearing and they set out reasons so you know depending on the reasons court also says all right uh, early hearing application is allowed list after 2 months 
that sort of a thing so there is no set rule but of course you know judges own interest uh, the impl- the implications of the questions of law um uh, you know things like this essentially yeah. so so this i think this is a nice segue to the second part of what the cons- what the supreme court's power actually are because we are seeing that at the appellate side it may take two weeks to 10 years and it has these flood of cases and it's a slaughterhouse on mondays and fridays when when these cases are to be heard for the first time but there is also another role that the supreme court has to do which is the constitutional role it has which we just discussed briefly in the starting this article 32 so among this article 32 which is protection of the fundamental rights where does article 32 fit in this whole puzzle of the supreme court then so i mean i mean first of all i wouldn't make such a neat distinction uh, between appellate powers and the fundamental rights uh, provision uh, because i don't see the appellate power any uh, different i mean uh, when i say differently i mean that once for example if you are um, appreciating for instance an issue of illegally obtained evidence or you know forced confession in a criminal case you are eventually uh, insisting upon a constitutional guarantee that must be followed so even in that appellate function the supreme court is performing a constitutional role so so there is i wouldn't make such a neat distinction but i get the drift of your question you see um, the the supreme court uh, had been contemplated as as a forum for direct access so um, whoever is able to uh, approach the supreme court with a grievance that fits within the frame of 32 must be in my opinion must be uh, granted access to i mean so the problem with the supreme court is supreme court thinks that you know will open flood gates everybody is going to come here i mean i understand in some situations the high court may be better suited but uh, as a person who's a litigant uh, as a citizen who's been guaranteed a right under 32 it is not for the supreme court to say that look you will be better suited if you go to high court i mean if he has come to you uh, and there is no other no disability otherwise uh, you must hear that person so i mean i take that view but having said that uh you see for example uh, local issues um the supreme court uh, may not be in a better uh, position to appreciate that so uh, uh um, for example if you want um how i'm what example should i give for example you know you see if you say that uh, you want to raise an issue of a public interest pertaining to um um uh, say illegal uh, taking over of say, ponds or river, small river bodies and things then maybe the local high court is better suited because you know it appreciates the conditions it appreciates the local administration the local requirements better than the supreme court so in that situation it may be better suited so i mean it's a very thin line but uh, in cases of personal liberty at least the supreme court should never never say that you know you go to high court and file a habeas corpus there why have you come here i mean it takes right. a great effort for anyone to go to any forum and if the person is um person doesn't want to go to high court for whatever reason don't mean to make him spell out those reasons to you i mean the lawyers may not be comfortable in spelling those reasons out for whatever reasons but these are the judges who are appointed by your collegium I and mean, if the person doesn't want to go to them it's fair enough the constitution allows him to come here let him choose his forum let him choose his remedy right and so just in terms of um this this one question is the 32 aspect of it like you said enforcement of fundamental rights but like you mentioned that there are also other cases that could have constitutional implications 
whether they come under 32 or 136 or a statutory appeal um they could have um, they could implicate serious constitutional questions and at least as far as the text of the constitution goes it says that these important constitutional questions should be decided by a bench of five judges now i just want to understand given the fact that the supreme court spends two days a week mondays and fridays just hearing um, admission matters whether or not to admit these 136 appeals how really feasible is it for the supreme court to get through all its constitutional questions forming benches of five judges uh, because as soon as you have a bench of five judges you have taken out five judges from your uh, appellate function right so how really feasible is it for the supreme court to to actually carry out its constitutional functions under the current scheme of things well so my reading of that provision is not that every issue where some constitutional issue is you know raised has to be referred to five judges for example whether a person can be detained uh, without being brought before a magistrate within 24 hours well it is a constitutional issue but it will not arise you know this will not require reference to five judges because it has been decided so a large number of constitutional issues that are you know raised in a large number of cases can be handled uh, by two or three judges uh, within the parameters of the law that have been laid down thus far and in mm-hmm. appropriate cases the chief justice may then you know constitute a bench uh, but you are right i mean uh, uh, disproportionate focus on those cases does affect uh, the appellate um, uh, appellate you know uh, functions of the supreme court and in some cases you know even in the appellate function you will require a five judges to decide a issue i mean your land acquisition you know the compensation issue being one of those you know you need a reference to a larger bench whether it should go or not go you know i mean how the, the judges distinguish the existing three judges you know i mean these are all issues and everybody was saying you know it has to go so i mean these are all so these are all not really constitutional issues these are different branches taking different view within the realm of the statutory statutory uh, provisions so um, what i would uh, respond to that is simply by saying that yes it does take away time from the appellate function but laying line laying down the law for the guardians of you know the high courts the district courts and the smaller benches of the supreme court that's also a very important function so it really depends on what are the questions that are pending and again what the chief justice has uh, decides i mean it's really the wisdom of the chief justice because then he is the master of the roster he is to constitute benches and he will then take a call we know whether this case is something that decides uh, needs a decision immediately you know so then i'm saying the interesting bit is it's if it's all the perspective right so it's even the wisdom of the chief justice in his perspective what's what's the rule of the supreme court does he in, his, in like like i made that need this uh, distinction does the judge himself makes that need distinction in his head that you know my work is actually appellate and i'll focus more on this part of the court or my work is actually more constitutional under article 32 for that matter and i focus on that so it's really the perspective of the court in itself in, in a certain specific time frame is what is guiding how how our rights will be affected and how and by rights i mean appellate rights and constitutional rights yes of course i mean i mean the way your chief justice or any chief justice thinks does affect uh, how the what is uh, i mean how the institution is going to function i don't think we can shy away from that reality Uh, the way your judge also thinks will depend whether he will go on the majority or a minority yeah. that's why you know the constitution of benches is also very important function who's to sit in which bench i mean i mean a lot of people have written about judicial processes and, and so I mean, you guys are aware of that so but uh, yes of course yeah 
No, um, I think this has been a fascinating discussion because I think you have really been able to highlight how the problem is not solely on the Supreme Court side, but there's a larger structural problem beneath the Supreme Court. So a lot of criticism comes to how the Supreme Court handles, say, constitutional benches, Article 136, but it's part of a much larger structural problem in the lower courts. But given the fact that this, this episode is on the Supreme Court litigation, could we just wrap up by maybe if you have any suggestions in terms of structural changes to the Supreme Court itself, what do you think is the, the biggest problem facing litigants or from your own perspective as lawyers, one structure within the Supreme Court that could immediately be changed without too much fuss? Reformed. So maybe reformed. Change is, change is a stronger word, I feel. No, I mean, I really believe that the change, uh, if you want, change has to come from the bottom. And I mean, the Supreme Court is gets very, I mean, uh, pained that, you know, usual small bail applications are coming to it. Why should the Supreme Court of India decide bail applications? You know, that's because the lower courts below are not applying the law that, are, that has been laid down. So, you know, that's the real problem. The courage that should be there at the lower judiciary is not there. I mean, they're succumbing to pressure. The high court says, look, the trial court has appreciated your case and not granted it. We won't grant bail. Another person has to come to the Supreme Court. Or, you know, worse, you know, granted bail in a case where it should not have been granted. That's why one has to come to the Supreme Court. So the problem really with the Supreme Court, and that's really the point of reform, is that the Supreme Court must ensure that its orders are complied with. That's Otherwise, a, it's just a paper, paper Supreme Court. And that's also, really... The thing is that because sometimes, for example, I don't practice in the Supreme Court. I practice mainly in, like my local high court. Sometimes the perspective also is that the orders passed by the Supreme Court or the decisions taken by them to improve the lower judiciaries is so disconnected to what is actually happening in this place. So their orders aren't enforceable. They can't be followed because the perspective of the Supreme Court judge and trial court judge is so different and there is no gap. There's no bridge between them. You know, that's so that is, that is true. That's why you see that the way constitution is designed, it doesn't uh, give Supreme Court any power over a district court. Correct. District court is within the supervision, within the um, eyes of the high court. And the high court is really, you know, uh, the karta dharta of the lower judiciary in the state. But what has happened today is that the Supreme Court, I mean, you're supreme because, you know, the appeals lie to you. Otherwise, you're not supreme. You're co-equal with the high court. Exactly. So, but the the point is, I mean, uh, in trying to unify the judiciary, a lot of problems from the local courts, the solutions trickle down from the top, but the problems don't travel from the bottom to the top. So, I mean, I don't know, you know, I mean, we are tinkering with the constitutional scheme without, you know, uh, ensuring that the conversation happens both ways. And most of the judges and the lower bar may not be in a position to, you know, say really any, anything to the Supreme Court. I mean, this uh, new proposal of, you know, um, the um, vision document about technology. Right. I mean, that's problematic at so many levels. You know, you're unifying yeah. the police and local judiciary up to the Supreme Court. You're putting them every, everything on one server, you know, trying to give access of, for example, the, the, I mean, it's one of the things that promises is that the judges will get access to the FIRs that are there. Um, but what happens to the supervision of the investigation? I mean, that's the core function. The problem is not with the access. If the magistrate says, Mr. SHO, please get me a copy of the FIR, get me this document, what have you done, bring me your case diary, which SHO is going to re refuse that? But the problem is the judges are not, you know, doing not that. Doing exactly. And the high court mm -hmm. is not, not impressing upon them to do it. And the Supreme Court is simply saying, look, there's a lot of problem. We need to do something and we need to therefore catch hold of the district ju judiciary. 
I mean, get them to do it. So the problem is Supreme Court laying down beautiful laws, wonderful laws, but it's not being implemented on the ground. Get them to implement it. Lynching, for instance. I mean, Supreme Court has you know a judgment on lynching, laying down so many guidelines on preventive, uh, uh, restorative, and curative steps, but nothing is being followed. It is the matter has not seen light of the day for two years now. And the high courts will say, "Look, matter is pending in Supreme Court. We won't do anything." Supreme Court is not enforcing its own orders. So, if the Supreme Court doesn't enforce its own order, whose dignity suffers? I mean, it's the Supreme Court own. So the biggest reform that has to come from the Supreme Court is ensuring compliance of its own orders, and that's true also for the high court. A large number of contempt petitions are filed, and only after filing of contempt petitions does a compliance of the court order take place. Why should a man have to go through filing a contempt petition, which is another round of litigation, adding to the litigation burden, to get an order of the court complied with? Yeah. If you punish one or two people, send out a message. You know that if you don't comply by order once, yeah, I won't let you sit here. I'll send you to jail. Yeah. You do it to one person, the entire department is going to fall in line. But it's never done. Thank you so much. This has been a, a absolutely enlightening uh, discussion for both of us, and hopefully our listeners as well. I think you've really given us a, a bird's eye view on a lot of the problems facing both the Supreme Court and. Uh, the entire judicial structures in india